Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Call Talk for Wednesday, February 3rd. Our topic today is strategies for agent and supervisor compensation. During the call, we invite you to ask questions via email at calltalk at benchmarkportal.com. There's also a chat function on the calltalk.tv listening station. Or call and ask your questions to the host and interact with the show. The number to call in is 347-857-3117. Everyone who asks a question, email or phone on the show will receive a free copy of Bruce's book, Benchmarking at its Best, and one person will be chosen at random to receive an in-depth biotech benchmarking report value of $1,500. And now I'd like to introduce the host of the show, Bruce Del Fiore. Thank you very much, Sean, and welcome back to Call Talk, everyone. Our listeners uh, chose today's topic on agent and supervisor compensation strategies. And whenever I think of compensation, I'm reminded of the time we received a benchmarking report that, that looked actually pretty normal, except for two metrics. Uh, for agent salary, they entered zero, and for agent turnover, they input 1,200%. And we thought, well, maybe there's a correlation here. Don't pay your people, and they leave. Well, we called them, and in fact, they were a very successful nonprofit that had an all-volunteer agent force that did one month of work per year. Well, we had a good chuckle over that one. Uh, but as we know, most of us don't live in that world. So uh, we have a, an information-packed half hour ahead, and I'd like to uh, launch in by introducing my guest, uh, Chad McDaniel, founder of the MER Executive Search. And Chad's a, a recognized leader in the executive search field. He's uh, well-known also for pioneering social media recruitment strategies for the call center industry, and he has hosted webinars and authored white papers on compensation strategies for call centers. Um, in fact, come to think of it, probably some of the people on this call may have been placed in their positions by Chad and his colleagues. So, Chad, welcome to the program. Bruce, thank you, and uh, great to be here, and thank you for having me. Okay, great. Well, Chad, we all know compensation is important because it's one of the glues that holds people to your center, uh, so you don't have 1,200% turnover. And, uh, and it allows us as managers to build stable, effective teams of people. Now, since agent and supervisor comp is typically the majority of the call center budget, according to the studies that we've done, uh, this topic is really important. It, it is the topic, uh, typically, that comes in um, in so many realms because, as you stated, Bruce, 70% typically of operating budget is going to be around labor cost. Um, on our side, we've been interesting um, or uniquely exposed to how some of the agent and supervisor compensation programs are being designed. Uh, typically, we engage and work with the decision makers, the executives and organizations, we have an opportunity to discuss what's working from their perspective, what's not working at that level. And over the years, you know, you, you start to see some formulas and you start to pick up certain trends. And uh, we'll get into those here shortly, but uh, at the same point, uh, it, it is, you know, the topic. Yeah, yeah. Well, Chad, you've had a chance to review some fresh data from our one-minute survey on agent and supervisor compensation that's uh, now in progress, and we encourage all of you who haven't taken that yet to please do so. Uh, what are your major observations from uh, from the interim survey results? 
Great job to your team, Bruce, for putting the survey together, and I encourage everyone listening, and thank you for your time today being on this call, uh, to take a look at the survey because there are some interesting trends or thoughts that come out of the data, and I think that data will be available after the call, Bruce, to the uh, participants. Well, yeah, and within uh, five days, we'll be sending out the results to you. We'll probably be closing out the survey in the next couple of days, so we encourage everybody to uh, to take it by the end of this week. Well, the three things that popped out to me, and I think there was a series of 11 or 12 questions, but it sort of gleaned out what I saw is that we say we need or like incentive-based compensation, but the survey is suggesting the majority are doing little to none. For example, in uh, question one of the survey, it asked about uh, agent compensation structured uh, salary only or salary plus annual or occasion bonus, that made up about 65%, where only 28% said in the survey base salary plus incentive. The same theme held true when you asked the question about supervisor compensation and how it's best structured or being structured. Uh, only 18% said base salary plus incentive. The majority, again, 60-65% salary only or salary plus annual or occasional bonus. So there's a, there's a lot of talk about incentive-based compensation, but it appears from those results, um, majority have little to none. The second, the, the second thing that I saw in the data, um, the value of compensation is not just cash. We've heard that before. Um, when you look at some of the, for question number seven, or number eight, in the forms of compensation, sick leave, vacation allowance made up 53 or 40%. So no question if we're all tight for dollars, the creative things are being used and continue to be used to look at life quality balance structure. And then the third piece is in, um, there was a question around the metrics that are being used. I think there was uh, maybe eight or nine of them. Uh, that were listed in the survey, what are the metrics being used to help determine performance pay. The three things that came out from the respondents, number one is call monitoring and evaluation scores, and number two was attendance, and number three was customer satisfaction ranking of recent calls contacts. Those seem to be uh, the higher percentages that were being used um, as an example. Yeah, no, it's interesting. If I go back to the, your number two, which was the value of compensation is not just cash, there's also the uh, quality of life and balance things that come into play here. Because uh, I think sometimes, particularly for centers that are having a problem retaining people and uh, having happy people, they will oftentimes uh, immediately just cling on to the fact that their, their uh, compensation may be lower than, than agents would like or than prevailing wage. And while that can be an important part, it's not the only part. In fact, uh, we've done a number of studies that show that for most agents, uh, the top satisfiers and dissatisfiers for their job are not just their cash pay. Uh, there's, and I think so one of the things that we need to do in this session is put compensation into uh, context of what it is that makes for a great center, what it is that makes for great agents that make for a great center. And um, uh, usually at the top of the list are, you know, how I get along with the supervisor, okay? And therefore, supervisor pay should, in part, I think, be tied to uh, retention. In other words, if you can be really good at retaining your agents, then uh, if you make your, your supervisor's retention champions, 
You can reduce costs for your call center because turnover is very expensive. Uh, Chad, we did a, a study a few years ago that showed that on average, turnover costs $6,000 per person, so it's really expensive. And uh, and also results in a in a better work atmosphere because the other thing that uh, people are looking for is a feeling of belongingness in call centers. So uh, I, I think the the thought here is that you're um, you're you're noting that it's not just about the cash, but also about these other benefits and about how they feel about being there are very important. And, uh, and and making your supervisors retention champions and and compensating them on how well they do there is it can be really good thing a win win for the uh, the uh, supervisor and for the company. I would be surprised, Bruce, if anyone listening to this call has not heard the argument that we're talking about the whole life quality balance. And there's probably been a lot of discussions about how that's being incorporated, not being incorporated in their own organizations. Um, so it's a well-noted and stated observation out there. The question is, how is it being used? How is it being communicated? How is it being leveraged? Is it relevant? Um, how is it being modified for changes in environment or changes of state? Um, and, and I'm sure there are people on this phone that have done some fantastic things in ideas around life quality compensation type of stuff that doesn't really cost a hard cash component, but yet brings the equation we're talking about. My purpose or my point would be to validate to the audience that uh, it is a substantial component of compensation mechanism that does work, is being used, and is constantly being refined and looking at uh, the, the existing environment. I don't know, Bruce, if there's a question you want to ask me around that, but um, the, the issue is that uh, it is definitely uh, an area leveraged well or being leveraged. Yeah. No, okay. Uh, no, I think that, that's really important. It's a really good point. Uh, very good insights. And actually, could I ask you as an executive recruiter, because uh, you regularly have to help with structuring executive comp and, uh, you know, what are the lessons that you've learned that can be applied to agent and supervisor comp and that could be useful to our to our listeners. Well, you know some of the mix or the strategies. I mean, I'll, I'll just start. If nothing else is a validation and reinforcement, it's not going to come across as anything new or revolutionary. First of all, it's always uh, it's evolving. It's got to be kept new. It's not static, so to speak. Um, agent input driven is typically the best we have seen where the agents really do have some sort of say or ownership or revalidation into the ways they're being compensated uh, in that performance compensation component. The second piece is that we have found performance driven compensation that has more personal measurement or direct ownership is better than just all 100% company. Now, I know a lot of companies want to put a mix of company and personal performance deliveries into it, but it's the, the, the deliverables that the individual controls uh, in, in that really make the difference. And I think, Bruce, you also had, and I, you had, had a client situation where there was some performance-based uh, methodologies used. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And... Um... Uh, well, let me just uh, take a stab at explaining that situation. I think, uh, Sean, you've gotten a couple of questions on this this particular issue, haven't you? Uh, yes. 
Uh, we actually had a question from uh, Bob come in. How do I justify increases in compensation when the finance people are asking for cuts in costs? Exactly. Okay. And, you know, this – actually, I wanted to say that because it ties in with what uh, Chad was talking about earlier with regard to the um, – uh, results indicating that people aren't using incentive pay, et cetera. There's actually a very nice virtuous circle that can be made here. Let me try to explain it um, because we've had concrete experiences with a couple of centers. In, in one case, uh, the center had salary rates that were below the prevailing wage in the area, and that was causing dissatisfaction and turnover. We did a thorough study on the costs and the quality metrics, and, and what we advised was the following. What you need to do is first set standards for attendance and quality-related metrics. So take those quality-related metrics that have to do with, for instance, customer experience. Use uh, post-call surveys, inexpensive email, and IBR one so that you can get a very large sample size for each agent. And, and bring it right down to the agent level. This isn't just at the center level. Uh, then use monitors to get the hard aspects or the compliance aspects of the call-in. So that's the second part of quality. And then if the agent meets the standards on attendance, on customer experience, and on compliance quality, those are sort of like the thresholds that they have to get, get over. Then we look to quantity. And if they increase their calls handled per hour, because this is one of the metrics that the uh, center was in fact tracking, and if they can increase it from X to X plus, then they get an incentive bonus. And the bonus, this is the beauty of it, is equal to about half of the savings that comes from the higher number of calls taken. So let me give you an example. Hopefully this will get very clear. So the average number of calls per agent per hour could be, say, six. Uh, if the agent improves on that by going to seven calls per hour, that's about a 17% improvement. What we did was to calculate the savings that came from the move from six to seven and found that if we split the savings between the center and the agent, the agents could increase their pay by about 11 to 14%, which solved the basic problem. If they went up to eight calls per hour, they could up their pay over 25%. And what that meant actually was they could, the center over time would be able to reduce headcount which given the turnover wasn't a hard thing to do. They didn't have to let anybody go. They just didn't have to hire as many people. So if this situation is properly structured, and structure is really, really important, you have to have metrics that are reliable, reliably reported, and that the agents believe in. Uh, if you have it and you present this to your finance people, okay, it becomes really a no-brainer and a real win-win for everybody. Uh, so I'd be happy to talk to anybody who wants to have further information on that. But uh, hopefully that's a good takeaway for some of the people here because, in fact, these pay-for-performance things, when they're properly structured, when they really fit the uh, situation of the, um, of the center, can be extremely effective. One other point, though, that I have to uh, add here is it's extremely important to have a coaching component which goes along with this. Uh, what you want to do is turn those supervisors who should be retention champions into coaching champions that are really aimed at helping your agents make more money. And so by getting that incentive bonus uh, and actually incentivizing the supervisor by 
paying the supervisor based on uh, bonuses based on the bonuses earned by the people they are coaching. You get everybody really pulling in the same direction. And uh, by keeping the uh, standards with regard to quality, you make sure quality is done well. Uh, most people can be more efficient in the way they handle calls. They simply can. Uh, they, if they're coached to it, and they have an incentive to do it. And uh, you can do that keeping the, the uh, customer just as happy uh, and therefore having a real win-win situation all the way around. So hopefully that, that's clear. Uh, Chad, any comments yeah, on that? I have to jump in. Thank you. And, and great suggestions and commentary and examples there. Um, before starting this company 10 years ago, I was in call center management for 15 years. And I will say to the audience listening that it's not a question of there's a cost of doing business, there's a cost of not doing anything, and there's a cost of doing something. It's all how you frame it and position it to the financial people. It's a great question. And there are ways to the examples you've given, Bruce, and other ways that you can show the cost savings and ways to think about it to ultimately win that approval to get that performance-driven compensation plan. Because there's clearly cost by not doing it, not only in just turnover, but in overall satisfaction and quality handling and other factors. So I have seen executives or organizations out there really put together that cost basis analysis or proposal and wind up getting what they asked for just by putting it into the uh, CFO speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now, in fact, uh, there's a, can I make a confession here in front of everybody? Um, I, I used to be a CFO in a previous life. So when I got very involved in the call center industry, one of the things I noticed was the sort of uh, miscommunication that oftentimes happened between call center management and uh, the corner offices, particularly the, um, uh, the financial people. I mean, the worst day of the year for a lot of call center managers is budget day because you're sort of going into alien territory where they're talking about numbers and, and uh, all that kind of results. Well, in fact, if you uh, make those people your allies by uh, one of the tough love messages, in fact, that we've had for the, the uh, manager community is if you can uh, make your messages uh, relevant to them in terms of cost reductions, in terms of profit improvements, in terms of return on investment, um, then, you know, really you will get it through. And um, uh, you're, you're, spot, you're spot on, Bruce. You're absolutely spot on. And, and it's, it's painful. It takes time. But if you've got the endurance, it can get done. Yeah, yeah. And you know what I've said to a couple of people, too, just sort of in jest chat, is, uh, listen, buy a share of stock in the company. If you come up with a good idea that's going to save the company money and increase its uh, return on investment, and it's uh, earnings per share. If they don't do it, threaten to go to the uh, annual uh, meeting and say, hey, you're wasting shareholder value by not doing my proposal. <laughs> yeah. Now, Bruce, what – Bruce, uh, go ahead. Could we uh, – and, again, I've got a couple of comments, but ask the audience uh, their most pressing question that I can try to help answer at this moment if someone can either join in or raise the hand and ask the question so we can get a little bit of Q&A before our time's up? Yep. Uh, sure. Absolutely. In fact, uh, please do that and uh, send in your comments to uh, Sean, and uh, he, can, he can pass those along. Um, Sean, please let us know as soon as you've got something, okay? 
The other observation. Go ahead, Sean. I'm sorry. Uh, actually, we had uh, one come in from Kevin that, that kind of was to your point uh, before, Bruce. Um, he asked, "Are there any pitfalls with pay for performance that that I should look out for?" Meaning him, Kevin, uh, with pay yeah. perform- performance compensation. Uh, there are. Uh, good, good question. And um, the pitfalls, <clears throat> a lot of the pitfalls of poor planning, for the most part. Uh, and also not having listened, and this is a point Chad made, uh, listen to your agents ahead of time. So you really need to make sure that you have a good mix of people, processes, and technology. You know what it is that will really motivate your people, okay? Uh, you have the technology that allows you to get the metrics that you need in order to work it properly. And you have processes that are reliable and pre-tested so that when you actually do put them into effect, people have confidence that the bonus that they're getting is the one that they really deserve. And it needs to be transparent, so you need to have good reporting systems on that. So uh, those situations where people don't have those ducks all lined up are the situations where there's problems. Where you do have all those ducks lined up, then it's extremely empowering for the agents and uh, they feel, uh, generally speaking, very motivated, or at least the kind of agents you want to keep love these systems because uh, they have more control over how much they earn. And uh, that's a very empowering thing for them. And they can learn uh, best practices in terms of call handling so that they keep uh, the uh, satisfaction very high and at the same time get the cost low. Uh, over to you, Chad. To Kevin's question, I would say this, and I agree with everything you've said, Bruce, wholeheartedly. One, keeping a poor perform, keeping a poor plan and leaving it there is a risk. A poorly communicated plan or lack of understanding of a plan is a pitfall. Um, you've got to make sure, you know, keep it as simple, stupid, as you know, the saying goes. The simpler, the better. The more understood, well communicated and re-evaluate it for uh, relevance is typically the best way to avoid some of the pitfalls in a performance paid plan. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good, very good. Okay, Sean, I think you've got another question that came in. Uh, Yeah, there was no name on this question, but uh, how do experienced executives looking for a next position propose structure for a compensation plan that will be enticing for the hiring manager? For themselves? I think so. Let me run at that because I deal in compensation negotiation all the time and offers. Um, And a couple things I would say is that um, on your resume, you know, first of all, there's a whole different topic about the resume and keeping it very specific, metric-driven, and really talk about how you impacted what you did in the value statement uh, is important, and that helps drive the overall when it gets to compensation negotiation for the individual. Um, the best way is to really uh, approach the conversation with how your successes or your value proposition, what you have done, how you've moved the yardsticks, and how that's going to assist that new organization or company to your own value. So a lot of it is creating that value in the initial part of the discussion and ultimately getting to the higher. Um, you 
the employer has a need just as much as the job seeker, and it's a matter of aligning those two pieces. Compensation discussion should not be an uncomfortable scenario. Um, and uh, I, I guess the way I would approach it is that a lot of times employers will look at the compensation history to get a benchmark. So in your last two, three positions, here's where you were at. Here's what you did to earn that level of compensation. And typically there's a delta or there's an increase moving into the new role. The complexities of the job, the responsibilities of the job also play a factor in determining what that compensation offering is going to be. So it's not a simple black and white answer, but there's a number of factors that create an ultimate compensation offering and acceptance. I don't know if that answers exactly the question, Sean, but um, from a high level, uh, it's important to how you approach it. Mm. Mm. Okay, no, good insights. Uh, very good insights. A lot of experience there, too. Okay, I, I don't really have anything to add uh, to that, and I know that you've got other questions there, Sean, so why don't we go on to the next one? Okay, this question comes from Brenda. Uh, Brenda asks, uh, any thoughts on differentials for supervisors working off hours and mm -hmm. on-call pay for supervisors in a 24-7 uh, health call center? I am trying to convince HR this is appropriate. Okay, good. Uh, would you like to take a swing at that one, uh, Jack? Well, Brenda, great comment, and uh, tell me who that HR person is. No. Um, <laughs> Typically, um, if you look at compensation comparatives, supervisors that work shift differential or on-call hours, there is some sort of component of compensation for that recognition. It is more of the uh, rule versus the exception. If your organization is not doing that, from my experience or what I've seen, it's, it's definitely going to be the exception, not the rule. On typical, the ranges can vary. I would say usually 8 to maybe 10% is some sort of shift differential or percentage off a of base. Again, those things can vary, but I would say to Brenda's question that um, it's more that that is recognized in some fashion versus not being recognized with those percentages. Okay. Now, I, she's asked how to position this to her HR organization, or HR does not see it that way, or? Yeah, it's, uh, she's trying to convince her HR that this is appropriate. So how would you help her right. to do that? Well, and again, it all comes down to retention and attainment of your best talented resources. If you're not being competitive in the labor market with your compensation offering, you're going to lose talent. And companies, even though right now it's a down market and there's a quote-unquote candidate saturation in the market, companies more so than ever need to be staffing the best talent they can get because they're at more risk than less risk because they've got to be delivering results, they've got to be producing, and if you don't have the right people representing that claw, that mandate, you're at risk. Uh, your revenue is at risk. Your customer satisfaction is at risk. Um, so it's in arguments of that, of, of getting the data that helps support that argument would be my perspective. Right, right. Actually, you know, uh, one that I've heard too has to do with pay differentials for bilingual agents and supervisors. And uh, actually, our advice has been different depending on 
the geographic location and the labor pool that's involved. Uh, because in some cases, they really do need to pay a differential in order to attract the proper talent for that. In other places, they're able to have an ample number of people who are bilingual and uh, therefore uh, are able to fill it up without creating some resentments that can sometimes uh, creep in if you have, um, you know, uh, you have differentials in pay. So I think that one's uh, one that's very sort of um, center by center based. There can be rationales for it, and in other cases, the, it, it's not necessary. And actually, someone is sort of hired with that in mind. Okay, Bruce. Bruce, I, I just want to say one more comment on that, and we'll move on. Is that I? No one here's. I mean, we're going to recognize that all companies are being very cost. Uh, contained right now, looking at all ways to, uh, you know, the bottom line. Um, we're in financial difficulties, and there's a number of things going on in the market. Even if it's not the, the hard cash component, the 8 to 10 percent, in recognition of that shift differential, there's other things they can do to get, you know, if it's either extra day off or whatever type of non-cash incentive or quality life balance to recognize the difference suffices in a uh, cash-down market. Right. Okay, good. I think we've got time for one more, Sean. Do we? <laughs> yeah, we have time for one more. I think it's, uh, we're getting a lot of questions in. Um, uh, Peggy asks, if one cannot do bonuses, what are other ways, uh, what other ways would you suggest? Okay, other ways, I guess, to uh, reward people and to have right. the similar effect. Okay. Uh, Chad, do you want to take a, a swing at that? Well, there's um, a couple things come up to mind. I mean, even I had to get very creative when I was a supervisor in the day, creating my own awards, uh, little things that showed value to the individual. I couldn't give hard bonus money, but I would do things that would say, job well done, and people appreciated that. If I couldn't give them time off because there's a cost to giving them time off, uh, you know, uh, you know, bring in, uh, you know, maybe pizza or whatever, whatever I could try to do to continue the value proposition of appreciating their work, but doing it in a very creative way. What would be interesting as a follow-up to this, Bruce, is that on your survey, um, you had a question regarding pay-for-performance incentive compensation. 27% of the respondents said they have it and it works well. I'm curious to the 27%, who is that 27%, what are they doing and why is it working well? And out of there, there's probably some fantastic ideas and best practices uh, that, you know, are very creative. Yep, absolutely. That's the next step in the research, and uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. We'll, we'll be following up on that. Uh, so, so that's great. Okay, yeah, and, you know, there was one center that I went into, uh, just to go back to the original question, uh, where they actually handed out ribbons, and these were considered a big deal just by the way it was done, and people loved getting the ribbons for uh, good performance. So you have to sort of look at your culture, uh, figure out what will work in your culture. Uh, the same thing may not work year in and year out, but it may work for a while, and uh, do the best you can in, as Chad said, show appreciation uh, that somebody has a psychic income that uh, may be able to take the place of financial income for centers that uh, just don't have uh, the money to give. However, don't give up, Peggy, on doing an analysis that can show that uh, really you should be giving some bonuses 
because uh, what management sees is simply more money spent is in fact half spent and half saved. Okay. One other quick comment, Bruce, on that is that it's not so much as the ribbon or the self-created certificate. I've seen supervisors where they just sort of haphazardly give it to it. It doesn't mean anything. It's got to be sincere. You can make it special. You can make it differentiated. You can do things to let that employee know you sincerely do appreciate it, and that goes a long ways. Okay, great. Well, we've uh, we've got over the, <clears throat> over the hour. There's been a lot of interest in this, so uh, that's great. We really appreciate all that participation. Chad, thank you very, very much. Uh, great insights. It's been a pleasure having you. And uh, Sean, over to you. Okay, I wanted to uh, thank our co-host, uh, Chad McDaniels, for his great insights during the show today. Uh, thank you for all the questions from the participants. Um, don't forget, uh, you can sign up for our reality check to see how um, your compensation compares to peers in your industry. Our winner of the in-depth reality check is uh, Brenda, Brenda Morgan. Uh, Brenda, if you could send me an email at calltalk at benchmarkportal.com, I would be happy to get you your in-depth reality check report uh, or survey to start the report. And the topic for the next show is uh, benchmarking made easy, how your metrics can be leveraged for optimum results. Thanks again and have a great day. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.